This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So we are um, going to jump straight into it. If you have not been around, if you're visiting us, um, we are busy with a series on time to humble ourselves. And uh, we've looked right at the beginning at Philippians chapter 2 which is probably one of the most profound chapters in the Bible, uh, where Paul writes out of prison to, you know, after he received a gift from Ephroditus from the church in Philippi, he writes back to them, and, um, and he says there's going to be new music playing in heaven one day. Um, no, that's just a joke. But so, um, <clears throat> so simply, he writes this profound letter out of prison, and he talks about this humility of Christ, and he talks about the fact that Christ came down and he humbled himself, uh, even to the point of death. He made himself of no reputation. Uh, he took the, you know, the form of a bondservant and he, he started to serve us. And so we serve a humble king. We serve the most humble person and king that has ever lived on the face of the earth. And so what a privilege to represent him. Um, but especially in this time, there's a, there's a big challenge in the church, and especially in the church in the, in the West. There's a lot of uh, pruning going on. There's a lot of shaking going on. Um, and some people are really hardening their hearts, and other people are softening their hearts, uh, even as things come to the fore. I think through the lockdown, a lot of people realize, like, whoa, my family has got some trouble or problems. Anyone realize that? Raise your hand very high. Okay, how many of you realized you're part of the problem? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so those who didn't raise their hands, please come forward. We'll pray for you right now for humility. Okay, but in any case, so, so we looked at a couple of things, but Paul writes here in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and he said to me, this is after he pleaded with the Lord three times, and sorry for repeating some stuff because there's a lot of people coming and going all the time. But uh, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, I'm not saying sorry for repeating scripture because that will change your life even if you hear it 50 times. I mean, but um, let's go with it. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. The, the, the world out there says, be strong on the outside, be successful, portray yourself. But the Lord says, when I'm weak before him, then I'm strong. Then God's strength can manifest in our lives. And his grace is sufficient. He, he gives grace to the humble. Grace is an enablement to do what he's called us to do. And uh, we spoke about that, but a powerful scripture. We sing the song, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like you. <laughs> no, no, me, okay? Me, the rich like me. Um, go and look up in the dictionary what the word rich means. It's not like, hey, fancy. In Christ, we're righteous. In Christ, there's a lot of things that he promised us, our identity in him, but in our own, we're just riches. And so we looked at this couple of things to be nothing before God. Um, you know, Andrew Murray says, and the Christian life has suffered loss where believers have not been distinctly guided to see that even in our relation as creatures, nothing is more natural and beautiful and blessed than to be nothing that God may be all. 
This doesn't mean walk around with a placard in the world and say, nothing, nothing, I'm nothing. That's my second name. But it's a position before God. I'm nothing so that he can be all. No glory to me. Less of me, more of you. <laughs> you know? And, um, and so we and especially read in John 15, verse 4 to 5, and Galatians 6, verse 3, 4. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, I don't know if it was in the morning or the evening service, but I, I worked as a financial manager and at a car place, you know, that sells um, Mercedes cars and stuff like that. And so um, there was a hard lesson that, that we learned uh, one time when uh, this fancy, fancy million do dollar car, you know, this old man walked in and um, he came onto the floor to buy cars, and, but he came with his slops, say, goe mekaar for sand. You know, and with uh, uh, just stuff that was, he really looked like he came from the garden somewhere and that he was a garden worker. And he was looking around at the cars and everybody was like agitated with this guy and thought like, oh man, let's just get this guy out here. He's probably begging for money or something, you know. And um, the, apparently the salespeople treated him very badly. And um, the next morning he drove and stopped his fancy new Porsche that he bought stopped right in front of the showroom. And he said, I was about to buy a Mercedes yesterday, uh, one of those fancy cars, but because you treated me so badly, I went to buy a Porsche, and I just came to show you what you missed out on. You know? Because isn't it so easy? We judge people on the outside. You know? we, we sort of like, yeah, oh, you know, that, that guy's there. It's, it's so easy to box people in because of the issue of control. The issue of control, we love to control our lives because if we are in control, then it's easy to manage the outcome. Uh, but the Lord is saying, oh, surrender. It's time to surrender and it's time to serve. That's the second thing we saw in Matthew 10 verse 27. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came to serve. The greatest in the kingdom are those who serve. And it, it, it doesn't come naturally to us, especially in the culture that we live. You know, oh, it was actually so funny. After the love feast last Sunday, I was walking around. I must just check if that person is not here. But I haven't seen the person. I checked already, but hopefully I'm not missing. But, but so one of the students just came up. So I'm, I'm taking like a, a peach, pineapple drink to my wife. I, I, want, I want to go and, you know. And so I'm walking. And then one of the students come and say, can I get that? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, what? You know, <laughs> but we said people can get whatever they want to and get food from other people. And I think like, oh, that's just a student, you know, that's how students don't think about stuff like that. But I was thinking, oh, natural tendency, me, mine. Is the sound all right there at the back? Or does it like break? Is it all right? Reinhardt, is it all right? Okay, cool. So, so it doesn't come naturally for us to serve. You know, sometimes, how many parents here have bribed your children to wash the car or wash the dishes? Come on. You know, you're sort of like, okay, you know, you, you realize just asking sometimes doesn't work. You know, you have to, you have, there must be a reward system or there must be a bribe. You know, I, I always thought like, when I go to the shop, I'm never going to bribe my children with sweets. That's like, I just thought that's it. Until you make that mistake to get the trolley and go down the sweets aisle. And that two-year-old throws a tantrum as if it's the storm in the middle of the sea. And that trolley goes like that with a kid inside because they just saw all the sweets. And eventually you, you say, no, no. And after the fifth time, you realize like, 
you still want to have a testimony in this town, you know, and then you like take the, and you just slowly like, eat just one at a time, you know, you think like, yo, I just brought my kid, you know, <laughs> because hey, <clears throat> we live in a culture of entitlement, we live in a culture of, hey, I've worked hard for something and therefore I deserve, deserve, deserve something. So, so serving doesn't come naturally to us. And, and we need to learn to be servants, to put other people's interests above our own. And that's why we can only serve once we've seen Christ, once we've encountered him. The, I'm going to need to pick up some speed. And then we um, spoke about keep on growing. If you want to stay humble, you need to be teachable. And so we're just recapping, you know, there's... This sign, do you know what this sign means? I think we must give this to every Christian. Hang it around your neck. But how many of you, you know, if this sign is not at the back of your car. Now, I have the privilege of my second child having this sign on the car. The first one got a license. Hallelujah. It's many miracles later. But the second one is a bit of an emotional driver. So I'm not going to say too much, but when she drives, she greets everyone that she sees and knows on the roads and um, forgets to keep the steering wheel going. But in any case, so, so it's been very emotional sometimes, you know, especially on a Sunday afternoon before you must come to church in the evening and you realize like, but if you put this thing on, then people sort of have a bit of more patience with you. Any parents taught their children to drive? How many gray hairs did you get added? You know, or how many hairs did you lose? <laughs> okay, let me rather ask that. You know, you lose a lot of stuff. But, but if you have this thing in the car, then, um, then it means like there's a learner. So you stop at that stop street, and I still don't know why it's blinical. This, you know, you, you look more outside of the road than in the road. Eh? I, I, I just don't know. It's just... But in any case, you stand at that stop street and it's like all over, blind spot all over, you know. But, but if that thing, this thing is at the back, it means there's a learner. Somebody's learning. And then you have patience with that car, with that person, because you realize you've also been there sometimes. But why do we take this off our lives? Because we think we have arrived. And the moment as a Christian when we think we have arrived, we're in trouble. So I wish I could give one of these to each one here. <laughs> I'm just learning. Sorry, be patient with me. But I'm going somewhere. I'm a learner. And, and you can't be a teacher if you're not a learner. Did you know that? You have, I've seen so many people that want to teach, but they don't want to learn. <laughs> you know, then you get sometimes in, in a lecture hall or you realize this guy's got all the information in his head, but he's got no, you know, he's got no way to impart his knowledge. So it's never become wisdom. It's only stayed with knowledge. And so God says, come and learn from me every day. You can't rely on yesterday. You can't rely on three years ago. And that's why we lose our passion for God, because we stop learning. We stop growing. Hello. Put on your learner sign. Say, I want to be teachable. And we looked at Paul's life. And so teachability means like, I can even learn from a five-year-old. I can learn from people that are different than me in the church you know we are the most 
weird people together. I was just checking again. Some of you walking in, I thought like, wow, this is a weird person, okay? Now people think, did he think about me or did he not think about me? <laughs> and I thought like, this is not supposed to work. You know, church is a, is a miracle when people from different generations, races, cultures, everyone come together. But as long as Jesus is the center, we're going to learn together. But it's so easy to harden your heart because that's what the media does. And people out there say like, hey, let's just have a divided world. Why? Because if it's divided and you can be comfortable in your box, you're never going to grow. And the challenge is, hey, the Lord is not interested in our comfort. He's interested in your growth. Quickly turn to somebody next to you and tell me one thing that you've grown in. Maybe it was just practical. Maybe you got a new hobby or you learned to you know, work better with the remote during the lockdown or something, I don't know. But one thing that you've grown in the last seven, eight months during lockdown, one thing that you've learned or that you've grown, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's natural, just quickly share with somebody next to you. Great there. Some of you got long lists, you know. <clears throat> Once we're teachable, the outcome of that teachability we saw is to be obedient to God. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. So obedience is the fruit of our worship, of our life. And the question is, what did God tell you last to do and did you do it? <laughs> you know, Jesus says, I measure your love towards me in whether you did what I said, whether you followed my commands. So sometimes we think like love is just a feeling, but God's measure, the reward or the fruit of our lives is the obedience. And it's, it's just amazing once you and I become obedient, how fulfilled you will be when you begin to do stuff. Not because God it always shows you the outcome or where you're going to go, but just being obedient. Let me tell you a story. Yesterday we were in uh, Robertson up there in the mountains doing a, a wedding of two people in church, Low and Danae. And so, so I met up with um, a group of people, and some of them, obviously, we, or the church here, with, especially with the students, is like a petrol station. Uh, we fill people up and teach them, and then they go into the world. So many times, years later, you see someone again. And so yesterday, I met up with a guy again, and this guy, um, I remember going to, to England uh, with um, Angus, oh, I think it was 2004, 2005. And so we met up with this um, leader of, it, of the church, and we ended up staying in his house. And uh, I love it when God's plan comes together, I mean, when, when, when you're just obedient to what God tells you. And so, so that evening we were staying with the, these two, um, or this leader of the church, him and his wife, but his children weren't there. He had three children. They were out for the weekend or away so that we could use their house. And so we're sitting at the dinner table and talking and and now he's beginning to talking. The father tells us about his, one of his sons that are just really going wayward and running away from the Lord and backsliding. And, you know, and they're very, very tense about this, this specific son. And so we chatted and then prayed for this son right there. And that evening I went to sleep. I was actually sleeping in his room. And so that evening I had a dream. And... Um, I realized waking up in the middle of the night, and the dream didn't really make sense. I'm not going to go into the detail, but I, I just prayed the dream. I, it was like a prophetic dream over this child's life. 
And um, so prayed it and just spoke it and forgot completely about it. And then about four years ago, um, remember being here in Bloomhoff Hall one evening, uh, as we're making an invitation for people to come to the front, there's a whole group of people responding, of young people standing in the front, and so we're busy praying, and I'm, I'm just going down the line and praying for people. And as I'm coming at this one specific guy, I'm reminded of what happened that night. And so now I begin to pray. I just begin to pray what I saw in that dream. So I thought, like, maybe it's a repetition. Maybe it's the same word for this person that the Lord showed me. But, you know, and at the end of the prayer, I asked him, like, do you know what? Um, has your parents ever lived in London? He said, yes, my father is a pastor, leader of a church in London. Um, and I've been running away from the Lord, but tonight is my first night where I come back to the Lord. And I realized, like, wow. Lord, more than 10 years later, your promise still stood for that guy. What's the, what's the coincidence? How many of you would agree there's no coincidence with God? I mean, <laughs> and that, that right there, that same word, that same dream is applicable over his life because God spoke it. If God said it, and I want to remind some of us of the promises God has spoken over your life. Don't forget. Go dust it off. And I just felt prompted right now. If you have got a family member that you've been praying for, for a long time that has run away from the Lord, I want you to stand quickly because we're going to come in agreement. I just felt we need to do it somewhere right now. There's some of you that's been praying for a long time for some of your family members. And, and I just know God's promises are true. You ask God for a word over them. Keep on speaking that word. Keep on praying that word. Don't let go of the promises of God. Because God is faithful. Amen. So let's just stretch out our hands to these people. Father, there's many people standing in the gap for some family members. We just want to thank you that your word is yes and amen. Your promises that you've made over people, God. We pray again, Lord, for those prophetic words. We pray, Father, that as we bring them to you. Day and night, in our intercession, in our prayer, in our cries to you, in our tears. There's some moms here that have been sharing a lot of tears, Lord, in your presence. But thank you that you are faithful. And Father, we pray for strength. We pray for courage, for people standing, Lord, even those who are afraid to stand. But we want to thank you, Father. Release your word. Speak your word like you're doing over our nation right now, Lord. Speak your word. Lord, raise up watchmen, raise up people, Lord, that will not grow tired, whose lamps will be full, like the virgins waiting for you, Lord. So, Father, I pray especially for grace in this time for all these people to be strong in you. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. I just want to remind you, remind the Lord what he has spoken. He, he is true to his word. The first thing we saw is to be occupied with God. The, the, the last one is to be exalted by God. In Luke chapter 14, it says, He that humbles himself shall be exalted. Amen. Now we finish with the introduction. Are you all there? <laughs> okay. So I, I want to just get to the life of Peter. I don't know if you've been reading, but I, I love the Bible that talks so openly and frankly about people 
and about their strengths and about their weaknesses. And if you look at the life of Peter, Scripture so clearly shows us this progress of the grace of God on his life. But also opportunities where he really had to humble himself so that God exalted him. He became one of the leaders in the church. He became the pioneer of the church because the Jews only thought the gospel was for them. And eventually God, through a dream, showed him Cornelius' house. Remember, you know, with the animals, eat of it. You know, if I've blessed it, and then he goes over there, and then suddenly the whole gospel begins to spread through people like Peter and Philip. And it wasn't an easy thing. This was a fisherman. Now, if, if the fishermen in those days were like the fishermen in the West Coast, you know, then half of the teeth wasn't there. There were some swear words all over the place, part of the vocabulary. People that worked very hard and knew how to fix things, knew how to take control of the situation in the practical. Because, hey, what you put in is what you're going to get out. It's a lot like the culture today. Very independent, very strong, fight on your own behalf. And so Peter gets called by God and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men in, in Luke chapter 5 verse 6 to 8. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just throw some stuff out there and then we're going to pray. You know, Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. And then Jesus, Peter comes to the shore and then the first time, the first guy who calls Jesus Lord in the New Testament is Peter, where he says, depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. After he had this heap of fish, you know, they're just, they're trying to catch fish all night. How many of us, you know, we, we, we want to follow God, but, but the Lord isn't involved in our accountancy and in our finances and in our relationships. And Jesus comes at the beginning of the calling of Peter, making Simon to Peter, he comes to this space where Peter is in control. And that's what's happening in the world today. A lot of shaking, and especially concerning the, the church in the West, concerning their finances, concerning their relationships. The Lord says, I want in. Peter, that area where you think, no, there's no fish here. You know, there's, we, we, we've, we've tried to catch fish all night. Then Jesus comes and says, cast the net on the other side. Whoa. It really humbles you. If Jesus is a carpenter and you're the fisherman, and the carpenter tells the fisherman how to catch fish. Imagine the engineer coming to tell the CA how to do finances. Because <laughs> engineers, not, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, uh, there's a lot of engineers in church. Okay, I'm just checking all the shots I'm getting from the front here. But, G but Peter had to come face to face with his own sinful nature. And he says, Lord, sure. I realize that I'm taking control too much. I, I want to be in control. And then Jesus begins to walk this road with this loud mouth Peter. But I love, you know, Peter because Jesus really loved Peter. It says it a couple of times. After his resurrection, when the ladies come and they say, hey, you know, um, Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> Jesus actually says to them, go tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. <laughs> so Peter had a very, very special place in the heart of God. But there was also something that had to break inside of Peter. And we all have a part of that. Now, I grew up on a horse farm where we broke in horses. 
You know, if you go here to Betty's Bay, you'll see there's still wild horses running around there. Huh? Tani Anna? But they, they, they're actually of no use. They're beautiful, but those horses are of new, no use. They're big. And there's a whole, there's 30 or 40 of them running around there. But they're wild. They've never been broken in. What does it mean to break in a horse? It's to take the will and make it subject to the master. Realize, like, what's my real purpose? So we saw Peter walking on water in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus comes and asks this profound question. Who do the people say I am? He's challenged with the opinion of man. And then Peter says, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. But then Jesus turns around, he looks Peter straight in the eyes and says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter makes this amazing confession. After the Lordship confession, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, well, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And on this revelation, if you as a Christian walk by revelation knowledge of who Christ is, wow. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The church is not built on man's opinion or man's effort. The church is built around the revelation of who Jesus is. You are the son of God, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, flesh and blood cannot reveal this to you, but my father in heaven did. See, the Simon needs to become the Peter. <laughs> we all have this part of Simon in us. I don't know, you know, I spoke to a couple of people from the states, you know, in this week, the free states. And, um, and it's been, that's a joke, that's a joke. Okay, you can laugh, just, you know, rent a crowd, laugh now, okay. I didn't touch my ear, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But people are very tense. And if you don't tackle a spiritual war with spiritual things, you're going to get into the flesh. There's a lot of people that are very tense because they want to go into the flesh. And so we need to encourage people and say, uh-uh, no, no. We need to go to God. We need to turn, we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray. Because taking stuff under the flesh will never result in the things of God and the kingdom of God. But, but there's something inside of us that want to be like that Simon. We want to cut off the ear of the soldier because we're going to take it into our own hands, eh? We, we all want to do that. We, we want to say, like, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to fix it. And then God says, Peter, surrender. Peter, surrender. Then we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, only John, James, and Peter went up. And it's, it's just crazy how there's this tension between the old Simon and the Peter. And the Bible shows us so clearly. I wish we could make a whole study of that. Because now Moses and Elijah appears. The Father, God the Father, speaks out of heaven. The second time that he speaks audibly, the first time was at Jesus' baptism. The second time, the first time he, he affirmed him as a son and says, You are my son. You are my beloved son, and I'm pleased with you. The second time, he says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. He affirmed the message, the purpose of Christ. So Moses represented the law and Elijah the prophets. And in that moment when Jesus is transfigured, it shows that all of the prophets, all of the laws shows to Christ. And the Father speaks and affirms the ministry of Jesus. Do you know what's the first thing Peter wanted to do? He say, like, whoo, let's build an altar. Let's do something. Because he couldn't handle 
just surrendering. So he wants to do something. He wants to fix the problem. <laughs> How many of us want to do that when God begins to speak and he says, hey, I, I want to I show that weakness inside of you. I, I want to deal with some issues of the heart. No, 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 Lord. Have you, have, you, have you heard of the people that suffer in Afghanistan? He says, no, 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 Lord says, leave that. Leave Afghanistan. Let's, let's talk about here because I, I want a soft heart. Yo, then it's tough for us. It's getting very quiet here. Is it uh, loss of air? Or I don't know what, but uh, Peter. And then in Luke chapter 22, probably the turning point of Jesus of, and, and his relationship with Peter. And we sort of missed the scripture, but, uh, but I've been reading it over the past couple of weeks. And we're talking about humility, the, the fact that God is not intimidated with your brokenness and your weakness, but you need to bring it to him. You need to realize how broken you are so that you can come back, so that you can completely turn back to him. And I can completely turn. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And then the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He doesn't say Peter here. He doesn't say the guy who's like so strong and spiritually so strong. He calls him Simon, Simon. Simon, Simon, indeed. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as Wheat. Prophetically, this is what's happening in the church in the West. Satan will sometimes come to ask for you. And what, was it, what does he want to do? He wants to sift. What's the real wheat? What's the chaff? What's the... What's the coring corals? And what's he gemors, what al sal gaan. Satan has come to ask your address. And listen to what Jesus says. It's so beautiful. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me. We can preach for three hours just on that. Jesus as our intercessor. Jesus as our high priest. See, Satan came to knock on the door and he came. He knows your address and he came to sift you. But Peter, I've prayed for you. But you're going to take a bit of a detour. And when you have returned... Strengthen your brethren. And this is where so much of the church is missing what Christ wants to do. The Lord puts us through tough times. So that we return and we can strengthen our brethren. And so in that moment when you make that decision, this is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. If you make a decision to harden your heart in that time when you run away to get offended with God, to get offended with the, your local church family, the root just becomes further and further. So we have a choice as the church. As we return, strengthen your spiritual family.
I have prayed for you, Peter. But the way you're going to get out of this is if you learn to serve. If you learn to, sure. That's, I, I, I added the shoe. Okay, but so <laughs> verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go. Now listen, here comes the Simon again. But Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. <laughs> then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. You. This morning is an encouragement. Not to try and cover yourself. Not to try and pretend when the things God begins to reveal in our hearts to run away from it, but to return, to bring it to God and say, God, I really need your grace in this area. Lord, I really need, but it's not about my big intercession, my big prophecy, my big standing on the mountain, my big like, whoa. It's, it's simply because you are the main intercessor. Yeah? <laughs> you are the one who brings the revelation. Flesh and blood cannot reveal it. We can try till we blew in our face to fix whatever until we've surrendered and returned to him. And we've learned that then there's an opportunity for us to strengthen the brethren. Exactly the same happens a little bit later, and I'm, I'm running out of time this morning because, hallelujah, last slide for now. Jesus comes to restore Peter a couple of chapters later. Remember what he said, I've prayed for you, and when you return, I want you to do something. There's a job description for you. There's something that you need to know. And so later, <laughs> now Peter, we know Peter denies Jesus three times. He literally just said, look here, I don't know the man. It's like crazy. The, the rooster crows. He runs off. Peter is in self-pity, discouragement. Peter is at the end of himself because hey, he tried everything in his own strength, and it feels like he's back at square one. And so in John chapter 21, Peter decides, and you must go read this chapter. He says, we're going to go back fishing. Sorry. Go back to square one. Let's forget the three years we've been with. He rejects everything. He goes back to his original trade. How's that for denying? It's not just the three times he said no to the, uh, the cock, not crow, crow, that crowd, you know, and, and he says that wasn't the big denial. The big denial happened here in John 21 when he turns, he says like, okay, let's forget all the ministry. Let's forget all the promises. Let's forget everything God said. Let's go back fishing. And then they go back fishing. All the other disciples, not just Peter, the rest of them, they all go back fishing. And here Jesus stands on the shore and he's waiting for them. And they don't realize it's Jesus after his resurrection. They come back. He says, hey. Throw the net on the other side. It's like they go back to square one. <laughs> and then at a stage, Peter realizes Jesus runs out. And Jesus is already standing there brying fish. Hallelujah. What, what a sign, okay? No vegetables. Hallelujah. I, I just see that's such a prophetic sign, you know? Just like with Elijah. The Bible, the Bible says the, the raven brought him like meat and, and bread. You know, it was just amazing. You know, there's so many signs in Scripture, you know? We won't talk about Daniel and the vegetables. Let's just talk about Elijah, you know, in the New Testament. But in any case, that's a word for somebody. So here we go, you know. So, <clears throat> so then this profound moment, and, and this is what I so love, you know, where Jesus stands on the shore. He's busy brying the fish, and he says, bring some of that fish. Let's eat some of the fish together. And now is this moment. I can just imagine. Peter was so excited. He gets up onto the shore, and he thinks like, okay, this is squaring it out right now. 
Jesus is going to have it with me now, but about the three times I denied him, the going back to fishing. He comes straight into that area and he stands on the shore while they're busy fishing. He says, Peter, you know what really matters? Do you love me unconditionally? I'm checking at the love in your heart. Have you lost that love? Because Peter didn't lose that love. But Peter got so confused. <laughs> and then Peter answered him and says, Lord, I don't love you unconditionally. I love you filio. He says, actually, he uses another word for love, which is like a friend. I love you like a friend. You know I love you like a friend, but I can't love you unconditionally. I've, I've just, I've got a track record here. <laughs> I'm standing here going back to fishing and, yeah, sure. And then Jesus makes this profound statement again. He says, look after my sheep. Tend my lambs. Three times. Three times he denied him. Three times Jesus asked him, look after my sheep. And Jesus gives him a mandate for the first time. Something switches in Peter's heart. He says, with all of that weakness, with all of that stuff, if you are in touch with that, what has happened now, that if you just recognize that and you surrender it to me, do you know what's going to happen? You become, you're going to become the leader of the church. Because I can work with that. I can work with that humility. But it took a great road, a far road to get Peter <laughs> to humble himself. Because normally Peter would say, yes, Lord, I love you unconditionally. I'm going to change the world for you, all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I love you in the way that you love me. That was the, the real Peter, <laughs> the old Simon. But here he says, no, Lord, I recognize I can't do it in my own strength. I just love you like a friend. And Jesus says, tend my lamb, feed my lamb. Look after the young ones. And then after that, we see this profound, the Holy Spirit is poured out. We see this profound ministry of Peter. Like I said, he was used to raise the dead in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, Acts chapter 11. We, we see Peter standing up, giving the first sermon in Acts 2 or 3. <laughs> says, this Jesus will be crucified. You see this boldness when the Holy Spirit has come here, but a boldness out of brokenness a boldness out of his weakness and the reason why i'm sharing this today is because there's a lot of us here that we want to bring our strength but we want to bring the simon part to god and god says hey i want everything we just we just we we just we want to we want to be control freaks and the lord says don't go there because you can't you can't do what i've called you to do you can't love me in the way that you even want to love me the way that I love you. And that's why the Bible says, hey, we can only love him because he first loved us. He gives us a capacity to love him. Why? Because why we've tapped into his grace, tapped into his life. And so, so that's why I so love scripture because scripture wasn't afraid, isn't afraid, God isn't afraid to show us even the greatest, one of the greatest apostles ever. But there was a great humility in his life. Something broke. And so for you and me, what does that also mean? It means like we need to love the church. There's a lot of people that are not loving the church of Christ. They don't love the bride. They love having a relationship with Jesus. But the way you're going to grow into grace is by living with these people, by becoming open and accountable and beginning to love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves people. And Jesus loves his church. 
Don't withdraw. Don't isolate yourself. If you're visiting here, I want to encourage you. If you may be from another town, go find a, a church that is messy, that loves Jesus, but they haven't got everything together, but they're really passionate for Christ, and you go and serve there. You begin to learn to love God's people, because in that way, what's going to happen? Your love is going to grow. You're going to find unconditional love, because why are you going to need unconditional love? Because there's broken people around you. <laughs> and the first one is the one in the mirror that you've been looking at this morning. Hallelujah. So that's good news. <laughs> but see, we want to be independent. We want to have church just as an event. But church is actually the place where you are allowed to grow. It's the space God has created for you to grow into unconditional love. And it's tough. Because we want to build walls around us. We don't want to show our weaknesses. We've, we've been conditioning by our culture to do that. So I want to challenge you. Take one step closer to the people of God. Begin to love the church of Jesus. Not just the local church that you belong to, but the wider body. <laughs> but start here. Start to pray for the church. Start to pray that God will break yokes over people's lives. Because if one suffers, everyone suffers. Jesus said, I'm not going to talk about how many times you denied me. I'm not going to talk about all your failures and all that stuff, Peter. But what I, what one thing I expect of you? When you return. Go and encourage your brothers. Because now you become a tool of blessing. You become a tool of humility that God can use. You become an instrument in the hand of God. But if you remain selfish and it's your, your relationship with Jesus is just about your own stuff, hey, he loves you. But you're never going to have the opportunity to discover the Peter inside of you. And there's going to be risks involved. It's going to be faith involved. He says, I, I pray that your faith will not fail. And that's the one thing he prayed for. <laughs> pray that your faith will not fail because your faith is going to grow in this. You, you're going to need faith to encourage others. You're going to need faith to get through this, Peter. And some of us need a lot of faith. Anyone that needs faith right now in your life, I've got good news for you. Jesus is praying for you. Stop panicking. <laughs> yeah. What must you do? Return. Humble yourself and strengthen your brethren. Start not looking out just for your own interest, but go and just think about the people around you in your small group or people that are in need in the church. Just, just start here. Ask people, have you got a need? How can I help you? What can I pray for you? It's just amazing. There's some people that I'm seeing here, and I'm going to end off with this. James, if you guys can come to the front. It was just so amazing to see during this lockdown how, and I, and I want to encourage and, and really compliment some people here. You know, there was one or two families, no, not just one or two families, about 12 families that lost their jobs during this lockdown time here with us in church. I've mentioned it before, but it's just so, so amazing. I sometimes only heard a week later about that family, and when I got there, it's the most crazy thing. The whole church has been there already. <laughs> And I think like, wow, Lord, that's how the family of God should operate. It's not the pastor's job. I must just encourage, teach, and show people the vision and direction. But it's the people that must, the priesthood of believers, people must do the work of the ministry. 
Because we don't come to an event. We are the church. We strengthen other people. We strengthen them physically, just like Paul wrote. Because Ephroditus from Philippi brought a gift to Paul in prison, a physical gift. <laughs> and now he gives them a spiritual gift. He's in chains, but he prays for them. He probably gives them one of the most profound letters ever written, the book of Philippians. Almost said Ephesians, Philippians, but Ephesians was great as well. So, so I want to encourage you, your homework for this week is go and think of three people that you haven't seen here in church for a long time. Just WhatsApp them. Says, how can I serve you? How can I love you? What can I pray for you? When you've come through your trial, strengthen your brethren. Maybe you are still in the trial. Then say, help! <laughs> you know, it's fine. Jesus is praying for you. But he's using the church. The church is his answer. You know, when you go to Malawi, when you go to Nepal, We've been there sometimes, and people walk to church for four days just to be in church. People have got so much respect because they know, they know what the value is. And the commands of Jesus is, it's not just, love me. He says, if you love me, love me with all of your heart then, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so it's time for the church to discover the value of the church, <laughs> to be the church, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other so that we can be the light out there. And so maybe you're all here this morning and you've been hurt in church. Churches like ours, you're going to get offended. Maybe you're offended with what I said this morning. Hallelujah. You're going to need to get over it because I'm a human. Amen. Because <laughs> I am going to say stuff that's going to offend you, and it's going to be a test. Sometimes Satan comes to ask for our number. Oh, but that your faith will be strong. Will you stand with me this morning as we go? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.